0: Bum 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 bum
1: Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Good old Bob Marley there. Could you be loved? Can't help but sing along a little bit there. The starred whistle, make some noise. Now you can see why I'm not a musician. And my ukulele career has failed. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Sleep for Performance Radio. Today we are joined by Ian Pryor. Ian Pryor is one of the great guests who has a Wikipedia page, which is always an advantage. It shows that this show has. Uh, Full of superstars. So Ian Pryor is a rugby union player and he has played for um, Australia under 20s at the 2010 Junior World Championship in Argentina. Now Ian made his super, uh, super rugby debut for the Reds, the Queensland Reds against the Lions in Johannesburg in 2011. And in this episode, Ian talks about uh, I suppose he's kind of struggled to get to super rugby union, um, super rugby and in rugby union. Ian is not. A massive guy. He's not this classic rugby player that people might think that's like 6 foot 10 and 130 kilos. He's like 5 foot 10, 85 kilos. But man, is he determined. This episode was great. Really inspired me for weeks after recording this. Um, we recorded this a while ago. But unfortunately, due to some injuries that I had, I wasn't able to get this episode out on time like I wanted to. But Ian is a great guy. This was an awesome episode. Ian is now the captain of the Western Force the new revamped Western Force um, in the new World Series Rugby Uh, he did do a little bit of a stint there with Harlequins in England after the Western Force um, left Super Rugby or well not left but pretty controversial exit from there as many of you may know Um, and it's also we also talk about in this episode with Ian about his potential cap for Zimbabwe in the next World Cup and is that going to happen or is it not going to happen anyway this is a great episode if you're looking for some inspiration for this weekend as the weather is getting better springtime here in Australia and you want to get out and get going this is a great episode that might get you up off the couch and get you engaged hope you enjoyed this episode I'll leave you here with the end of Bob Marley and a few ads before we kick into it This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is brought to you by Orbis. Orbis are a global consulting firm who facilitate the rapid delivery of significant and sustainable improvements in performance across a diversity of industries. They facilitate turnaround, transformation and strategic improvement programs through the development and implementation of a system and culture of lean and continuous improvement. Now Orbis are growing their global presence across the Asia-Pacific region, Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Americas. Their range of services include, optimization of business development systems to deliver growth, true to operating system improvements that reduce cost by improvements in safety, quality and productivity. So what this means for your business, typically they will give you outcomes such as a reduction in cost. Who can beat that? Increasing capacity utilization, throughput, increase in revenue, profitability and overall customer value and satisfaction. Orbis have extensive experience in facilitating change in challenging environments by utilizing lean tools and methodology Joining engagements across the world, including diverse um, sectors and industry such as mining, energy, construction, transport, aerospace, manufacturing and healthcare. Orbiz people are industry professionals driven to achieve sustained results through the development of trusted relationships. So head over to www.orbiz.io, that's Orbiz, O-R-B-I-Z dot for more information, get in contact with them to organise a visit today to your organisation. This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is also brought to you by Sleep WA Western Australia. Now Sleep WA is one of the only few nationally accredited sleep laboratories in Western Australia, meaning that they have put their services and quality systems to the test against the national standards. They provide commitment and dedication by providing you a high quality service. Now I've worked with these guys before, they are excellent. Um, they are a very diligent business and one that is trusted here in Western Australia. SleepWA is one of the only sleep and respiratory centres to provide holistic care and treatment for all sleep and respiratory disorders, not just obstructive sleep apnea, which many people would have hear, heard about in, uh, in the news or in, in the scientific literature or even on this podcast. So SleepWA believe that all patients deserve compassion, support, multiple treatment options and education to allow them to actively participate in their own journey to better health. SleepWA provides a comprehensive service to diagnose and recommend treatment of all respiratory diseases and sleep disorders. This includes rare sleep disorders and those complicated by cardiovascular disease. The SleepWA philosophy is to offer patients expert diagnosis, effective therapy, and supportive guidance on the road to better health and sleep. They are a leader in respiratory and sleep medicine and provide the following service at locations throughout Western Australia. Consultation with experienced specialists, comprehensive respiratory testing for lung disease, asthma and allergies, inpatient sleep studies, home-based sleep studies, that's pretty handy, insomnia management programs for insomnia and circadian disorders, and fatigue management programs to reduce risk and improve health in the workplace. So get started on your journey towards better health and sleep today and head over to Sleep WA, that's WA for Western Australia, and get in contact with Dion and Jack over there. this episode is also brought to you finally by fatigue science the fatigue science readyband is a wearable device that helps you improve safety and your performance through the science of sleep the readyband is a way more than just a sleep tracker it's the world's only sleep measurement tool that's paired with safety a bio michael fatigue model which has a predictive algorithm so what that means is actually predict into the future what your performance is going to be based upon your data. This was initially developed by the U.S. Army Research Lab and was uh, built to improve the performance of soldiers in operational environments. Now this device has been adapted to work in elite athletes and industrial workers. This is also a device that I have validated in the laboratory myself and I have used extensively in industry and research applications. As listeners to this podcast, you probably know that restorative sleep is about more than just the numbers of hours of sleep you get, factors like when you sleep, how much sleep that you have accrued, and even your local um, geographical location. So a sunset, the time you go to bed, the time the sun comes up, all of these things are all these different factors in chronobiology um, that affect your performance. So this Ready band was developed to incorporate all these factors that can really help you understand the real impact of sleep on your life. So ReadyBand not only helps you track changes to your fatigue over time, but also allows you to discover new ways to achieve personal fatigue improvement goals so you can actually measure the improvements that you're making uh, as you go. Now, ReadyBand has is relied on by lots of different organizations and they've got a very impressive resume. So, winners of the Super Bowl, Seattle Seahawks have used this, the Chicago Cubs have used this, military special forces and workers who operate in uh, long shifts in dangerous environments such as tunneling underground, mining, oil and gas. Uh, it's been used in elite sports such as rugby, basketball, and um, it's been used at the Australian Institute of Sport. It's been used in uh, elite MMA athletes who compete in the UFC, so it's a wide variety of applications. So, if fatigue is important to you and your organization, whether you're a sports team or an industrial workforce, head to fatiguescience.com. because I don't want to read. I want to just get fresh into it. Uh, Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I am joined by Mr. Ian Pryor, the captain of the new Western Force here in Western Australia. Ian, how are you doing?
2: Good, mate. Uh, Thanks for having me on here today. Very excited.
1: No, it's great, and thanks for coming over. We won't won't speak about what happened here before uh, Ian came into my apartment, but um, I'm in agony today with a... A neck and shoulder injury so we might be talking about some injuries today Um, Ian the new Western Force let's start let's start at what's happening now the new Western Force is playing an exciting brand of rugby this season in the the new World Series rugby Uh, I suppose developed, hosted, supported by Mr Andrew Forrest who's um, a very wealthy businessman here the Donald Trump of Australia um, is supporting this competition but more importantly this is like you know a a rebirth of the Western Force this year and you have been selected as the captain and so far you're on a 100% winning winning streak with two games out of two how does it feel to be part of that new Western Force here in Western Australia given the turmoil that happened last year in super rugby but i, I don't want to rehash last year but how does it feel now being part of that
2: yeah look it feels um pretty surreal um i was over in london playing for harlequins uh sort of in the interim until the interest and the offer came through to, to definitely come back it was always sort of talked about but it wasn't sort of there in concrete um and then it, it sort of came about in february and um yeah to be sitting here today talking to you in perth um after that happened last year it feels pretty surreal and to get through those first two games um was exciting a big experience i sort of uh, tim sat me down our coach tim sampson and sort of asked me if i'd be interested in being the skipper about two weeks before the kickoff of the first game so i had a bit of work to do there with a short prep and lead-in because we had a lot of uh, uh, distractions, if you want to call them that, on sort of game day experience, turning off the lights, fireworks, uh, smaller in-goal warm-ups, things like that. So I wanted to get my head around all that kind of stuff and do the prep work because we had a bit of a, a mixture in the squad. We had a, little, a lot of uh, experienced guys, also a lot of new guys, biggest crowds I've ever played in front of, and I wanted to be able to make sure mentally and, and psychologically they were prepared for that and they were you know, up for that, ready to go and made sure they were focused on the job at hand. So... Um, really excited to be here, really excited to be part of the uh, the frontier of the World Series Rugby um, and to be skipper is obviously a massive responsibility and a massive privilege and one I don't take lightly so still early days and still learning about myself as sort of in the leadership role where i sort of seen myself as a leader so to speak and sort of tried to set the example, lead by example, that kind of thing but in terms of actually being in the leadership role now and managing people and um, you know commercial staff, coaches and seeing how the organisation all pulls together is a bit more on the table, but I'm actually really enjoying that. It's sort of reinvigorated and refreshed me, so to speak. Um, obviously been in Perth five years now and really enjoy it now with my, my new, or ne- my now wife. Um, we really enjoy it over here, so it's, uh, yeah mate, it's been really exciting and I've really enjoyed the uh, the challenge so far. It's still very early days, a lot to go and a lot to come, but um, yeah, really looking forward to what lies ahead. So.
1: The crowds you, you spoke about—the crowds being so big this year at World Series Rugby—and if you watched it on TV or you were there in person, it was absolutely—you could feel the energy coming through the TV watching it. How does that make you feel to be part of the old Western Force, so to speak, in Super Rugby, and then to see the kind of the love and the support and the turnout of people had for rugby here? Like to me personally, I think the ARU made a big mistake. I think it was quite naive. And I think Western Australia come back out and kind of, for want of a better word, given the middle finger to the rest of the country about how much rugby is valued in this in this town and this and this state. How does it make you feel as a player to have all those people cheering for the Western Force this year? How, what, what sort of emotion does it evoke in you?
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. And um, it's obviously, again, similar to what I said before, it's quite surreal. So we've always had a pretty loyal supporter base over here, our, our loyal and faithful Sea of Blue over here in Perth, which has always been, you know, Around about ten to twelve thousand at games, but you know to have nineteen thousand, just just shy of twenty thousand, which was basically because Wolfmother took out a few hundred seats with their stage for game one, and then game two on Mother's Day again another tough fixture with another AFL game on the day before. We still had you know sixteen, seventeen thousand people, which is unbelievable and pretty surreal. So we were trying to explain it to some of the new guys that hadn't that weren't from here. Um, some of us more experienced guys have been in Perth about how loyal our supporters are, and in the week leading up to the game. Uh, there was about 20 volunteers that gave up or took their day off work to come in and pack member packs and fan day experience packs and that was a real eye-opener for guys that hadn't seen or been part of that before to see how loyal and how much the team actually means to the community, the state um, and what it means to people. And I think obviously we always had that Lewis Porter base like I talked about but to see the massive injustice that was done um, and obviously to lose the team and saw that like you don't really know what you've got until you've lost it kind of thing and, you know, like I said, the majority of the Sea of Blue are always really good, but the general wider community of WA, you know, because it's, it's more than just the team. It's about what it what it represents in the community and the sport, gives kids things to aspire to, game day experience, family day outs. Um, you know, and sport's obviously a massive tool for shaping character and developing kids as they move into ad- adulthood and, you know, what it teaches you and the life lessons you learn from it. So it's, uh yeah, mate, it's massive, obviously, to have... Those first two big crowds, and we know we've, we've we're tracking well for the next two games as well. With uh, the Rebels and the Crusaders coming up, two big two big teams there, obviously well supported as well, and a lot of ex Western Force players that are playing at the Rebels, uh, which will be very well received by the crowd. You know, like they they grew up here, some of them they played here and developed here, so and they're still mates of mine, really good mates of mine. We all keep in touch, um, but. Yeah, the, the fans are unbelievable, mate, and that's what makes a club and that's what makes um, an organisation sustainable. And to see, you know, it's no secret, the WA economy over the last few years probably hasn't been its strongest, um, and so families have been, you know, doing it tough or a bit leaner than previous years, and to see them willing to fork out last year in terms of the Save the Force campaign to actually put their hard-earned money to try and save the organisation is pretty moving as an individual. And I think you probably don't really appreciate it until the older you get, sort of. I'm not really old yet, but now that I'm getting into my latest 20s, being 27, um, and emotionally maturing because the male brain doesn't fully develop until 25, and I think I was definitely the case with that. Um, just actually really understanding and appreciating what that means and how much that means to people and families, and they want to invest and they want to, and, and really put, you know, vote with their feet, so to speak. So, yeah, really touching, really touching to have our fan base that we have. I think...
1: I think you made some really interesting points there. And the first thing I want to say is like, when you talk about like rugby in this day and the kind of the, f- the support, like in 2005, um, when you were still a teenager Ian, oh God, I'm still feeling old. I was living and working in Dampier in mining. And, you know, me and my wife flew down to watch the very first force game at Subiaco. And it was daylight savings and it was like 49 degrees or something It was absolutely crazy, you know? um, and, and, not only that, but you look around you saw, I saw many people that lived in Dampier and Ciarata flying down. So people are flying interested, like as well, not just the people here in Perth. So it's interesting that you have that massive fan base across the entire state. And also as well, your point about the importance of sport is really, really interesting because you're 27, I'm hitting 40 this year, and it's like that midway point and you kind of reflect. I wrote an email to one of my coaches, um, I played rugby from the age of like 12 right through to 24. And I wrote one an email to my coach thanking him for like that sort of opportunity because I feel like as a teenager for me and I was a bit crazy it provided me with that structure opportunity to be a leader you know playing as a I've been a vice captain captain sometimes that structure that support it it taught me about leadership principles it taught me about how to act in a group it taught me how to be a responsible person how to look after people and yeah it's small things at 14 15 but it it's a good foundation for as a man and i think regardless of what's happening at the top level of like a super rugby or world series rugby or international it's all that trickle down effect and that's sort of the stuff that you guys do supports all that age group stuff that comes down you know i mean, i think for me without rugby i might have went in a weird and straight off crazy path you know because you're 15 16 in ireland like you say it gets dark at three o'clock in the afternoon there's not much to do except you know do crazy things and i won't go into that but you know, rugby provided that outlet, and it does for many people. So I think you hit the nail really on the head there for that. So, yeah, I think it's really important. Now, this podcast is about sleep. We're not going to talk about the philosophy and the, the structure of rugby. So um, I do want to ask you, Ian, um, lately, with World Series Rugby, being here in Perth and very little travel, how different is your sleep now compared to when you were in Super Rugby when you were like the most travelled sports team in the world. Have you noticed a remarkable difference between those two seasons?
2: 100%. Um, it's it's pretty hard to put into words, um, the difference I feel. And I guess obviously with the spread out games probably helps as well. But I just, I feel almost like a different person um, because generally during Super Rugby we did so much travel and your your mood and your sort of physical and psychological symptoms would, would ebb and flow quite a lot. Um, those watches we wore last year would tell you your percentage was... Uh, very uh reflective and it was good to use but when we did our big trip last year which was we played in Perth went to Durban the week later played there went to Buenos Aires the week after and then we came back to Perth played here and then we went back to Brisbane played there so that's like four or five time zone changes over four or five weeks and I genuinely felt like a zombie um and it it just felt like you're on a bit of a a bender so to speak so you know like the more you drink the longer it takes you to recover so (coughs) <coughs> excuse me so durban it took me you know 2 or 3 days to adjust argentina it took me until the friday to adjust the day before a game is when i finally felt human then we fly back to perth and then i don't feel human game day quite interestingly interestingly i get a major injury in that one so is that correlative is that reflective you know i ruptured my latissimus dorsi off the bone an avulsion fracture is that was that due to fatigue was that due to you know like there's just fascinating things there and then we go to brisbane the week later so um, I just feel completely different. I almost feel like I'm just in a different world, particularly just after... I just remember the feeling after that and how low I was and how tired I was on, on top of the injury probably compounded that psychologically on top of the stress of what was happening during that year um, because rugby was really... And being able to play and train was my outlet. That's what you could control. You couldn't control the unknown about what was happening with the Western Force and that kind of stuff, but I could daily train and play and focus on that. Now I was injured, plus I was jet lagged. So really excuse me concocted into like a, a bit of a cocktail there um, so yeah completely different um, and it's showing in my in my scores whether it be my physical attributes like my gym my 1.2 K time trial with my aerobic sort of conditioning that kind of thing um, probably a little bit of psychological stress this year trying to plan a wedding <laughs> from uh, London and here and everywhere back on Queensland but man I've just felt completely different and just felt like myself uh, more of the time so to speak so you know super rugby was always a dream to play and it was always uh, I always enjoyed every minute of it, but it certainly had its challenges into particularly playing here and having had as much travel as we had and, you know, ebbing and flowing and, you know, travelling however many thousands, hundreds of thousands of kilometres which you'd know the exact data on. Um, so it certainly makes a difference this year not having to do that travel. We'll have to travel in NRC at the end of the year, but it'll only be three or four away games to the East Coast. So it's a, a total game changer to be honest.
1: No, that's, that's fascinating, yeah. Because if anybody not didn't know, last year, well, most years, um, West uh, Western Force were the most travelled professional uh, team in the world. Second, uh, the second to them was the Oakland Raiders or former LA Raiders for those of you around the early nineties, um, the NFL team. But you guys were doing some phenomenal kilometres, you know. And you know we've got um, one of our past guests, Tim Smithies. Um, who was working with you guys last year with the, with the devices he's explained that study in detail and he's currently writing up for publication so if you want to listen to that in more detail go back and listen to that episode um i'm gonna do a pause here because i lost my I I had a question i had two questions there in my head that I just completely out of my head when i because so I, I thought everyone came in back in my head about the other episode Five, four, three, two, one. So Ian, you mentioned about getting PBs around your 1.2K time trial, um, increasing weights, like all so these PBs. What about your recovery? Do you feel like you've had, as you're a better conditioned athlete, because you got more sleep, less travel, do you feel like the recovery after your games and your training session has changed? And I'm interested in your holistic recovery, sleep, muscle soreness, how you feel the next day, mobility, all
2: that. Yeah, I think it certainly has. And um, I think the difference is that we're able now to have a chance to, you know, after a game, you, you're high on adrenaline, you've got caffeine in your system. So it takes you a while to wind, wind down. If you play an eight o'clock game, you might not get to sleep until two or three o'clock in the morning, sometimes four, unless it's pharmaceutically enhanced with a, a muscle relaxant or something like that to really get you into a bit of a zen zone. But, you know, as a, as a little strategy we had from last year was that you end up in a sleep debt. So you try and maybe have a nap Sunday. And then monday you nap again and then you slowly build that bank the sleep bank back up but when we were traveling in super rugby you didn't have that chance because you might have to go to an airport you might have to travel you're on a plane planes at altitude more dehydration changing time zones not as great a food on the move you're not really relaxing because you're not in your own home environment where i can do that now so i can have a nap on the sunday if i want to i can take the dog to the beach have a swim in the ocean things that psychologically have a big boost um, and i think that's the biggest difference and sort of being a, a graduated exercise scientist and about to finish my master's in clinical exercise physiology, I've always been interested in the recovery, elite athlete, sort of preparation, psychological sp- components of uh, professional sports. So um, I've always been quite big on my stretching, my rolling. I stretch pretty much every day, try and keep nimble, being a, a halfback and getting those uh, awkward positions, bending over, over, around bodies and trying to get in there, um, being one of the smaller blokes. So I've always been massive on, you know, sauna. Yeah, going to the beach, things like that, just getting out and moving kind of thing because I felt the longer I lay down or stayed still, the worse I sort of felt. So that if you move it, if you if you don't move it, you lose it kind of kind of thing, I guess, with the recovery. So I've definitely felt, like I said, just more like myself and I think my physical attributes have shown in that because I'm more consistent with that whereas during Super Rugby, if we travel, you know, you travel to Durban or South Africa, you, it's not too bad going there because you gain a day but coming back, you lose a day. So if you play a game overseas on Saturday, you fly Sunday, you get back Tuesday, you might get one gym session in before the next game. And then if you have a six-day turnaround, which is what we had against the Reds, you lose another gym session. So your weights go down. And being a non-Pacific Islander, uh, weight was always tougher for me to, to maintain than other than the other guys. So it was more just being able to actually maintain my weight, maintain my physical attributes, which hopefully is reflecting my in my consistency and my performances. Um, and also just helping rebuild the body. Because I've like gone back-to-back seasons. I did you know, super into NRC, went into the Premiership with the the Harlequins over in London, then came back and had three weeks and was pretty much trained to World Series Rugby. So, I've probably only been able to do that because we are playing at home, getting that physical attributes and the recovery in and making sure that I am getting good sleep and consistent sleep and making sure um, that it helps me make, makes me feel good, Um, you know, psychologically as well as physically. I feel Obviously, I like to study and do a bit of research and work there. So, as long as I'm getting the good sleep, I feel physically and psychologically refreshed and able to throw my full energy at the leadership capacity in terms of making sure the rugby capacity is also taken care of. I'm making sure I've taken care of my extras, whether it be my speed, my skills, my gym, that kind of stuff, my psychological, whether it be meditation, visualization, all that kind of stuff, and really ticking those boxes. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely made an absolute difference and sort of always been a big big fan of recovery um, and I think George and I met him early in my career and that really helped sort of stimulate and get that thought process going because he played until he was 36, 37 in the same position as me, he was a massive on his stretching, pilates um, and I wasn't the most flexible guy back then but I remember meeting him and sort of seeing how flexible he was and I thought all right I've got a bit of work to do here um, if I want to take this seriously and play for as long as he can um, and he was really good in terms of mentoring that and. Uh, s and c coach that we had over there dean benton he was a good change agent for that in terms of cultural culturally trying to get that right um and then yeah from there i stretched pretty much every night if not twice a day at the brumbies excuse me i ended up being one of the most flexible so it took two three years but i got there and now I'm just about maintaining that moving forward yeah. you
1: when you speak about george Greek and, and i know um uh, from my work from the AIS, I heard a lot of people talk about George's focus on recovery and preparation and sort of other stuff as well. Um, interesting enough, you know, Peter Stringer, who's play for Ireland as scrum half. Peter Stringer, I think, is forty forty one now. Yeah, and so I know I remember reading this article on Peter. And f- for those who don't follow rugby, forty in rugby is like eighty in soccer. Like it's like, isn't it? It's just it's cr- it's, <laughs> it's a long, long time playing a contact sport. And particularly as a scrum half, because at a scrum half position, now half position, you're never—you're probably one of the smallest people on the field, and you're up against guys that are like 120, 130 kilos, and are absolutely battering you. Just there's some like savage wing forward, like an Angus Cottrell type character coming at you, and it's like that ain't pretty to have like Angus coming at you, um, you know, or Brian or one of these big dudes, or or Ben McCallum, or yeah, just like animals out there. I wouldn't like them coming at me if I was scrum half. So anyway, um, so. And Peter played right up until like, yeah, this year. And I remember reading an article a couple of years ago saying some of the things he focused on getting as an older athlete, particularly past 35, was um, stretching, meditation, focused on sleep, gave up alcohol, focusing on his diet. All these kind of what people would see peripheral things to his skill that he focused on, which just allowed him to turn around. And it sounds like, Ian, you're kind of speaking about many of these aspects as too, but you're 27. So kind of the penny's dropping probably quicker for you. Than it did for some others, but yeah, it's really interesting that that will help for um for your performance and recovery. So, have you have you gained weight? Cause you look bigger now. Have you have you, as as it helped you get? Have you have you gained weight through this less travel and so on? Because you you look you look a bit beefier than you have, have in the past.
2: Not sure what you're trying to say with that that comment there. Um, but <laughs> no, mate, it's uh, it's certainly been easier to maintain weight, like I said. Um, because we are not traveling as much, we're getting good food and we're not eating at airports or on planes, things like that, where the food is obviously more for the general population. It's probably not specific for athletes. Um, and I guess I'm quite lucky in that my, my wife is a dietitian, um, so it probably helps in terms of that. Um, because my 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 theory, and that's based off, again, of things that I've learned of other people, like the George Greggs and things like that, is like is you've got to do the basics really well um, before you can add on the optional extras. So you've got to make sure your diet's right you got to make sure your sleep's right, you've got to make sure your are stretching and recoveries right before you add on the, the massage, the physio, you know, all the optional extras that sort of can make a little 1% difference, but if you're not doing the majority of the 90% correct, that final 10% doesn't really matter unless you're getting the rest of it right. So, yeah, absolutely, it's certainly helped me maintain weight and keep those, more my strength scores up because that was a general marker for me, was being in a halfback running seven, eight kilometres a game. I do like to make tackles making, you making know, anywhere between 5 to 15 tackles a game, hitting breakdowns against guys that are much larger than myself. I found it hard to maintain my strength throughout the whole season with Super Rugby going from March to August and the travel on top of that. So I feel like at the moment I'm just able to maintain my strength scores, maintain my weight because I am able to sleep, able to eat my own house, cook my own food, all the little things that make a difference, not eating hotel food, that kind of stuff. So... Um, on top of mainly just sleeping in your own bed I think is a massive one because you know when you're early in your career you love going to new hotels new venues that kind of things but your bed changes every time little things that you know you can sit back and say oh look that's a psychological thing you can sleep anywhere as long as you're willing to do it but as an athlete if you're not doing it consistently it adds up over time Um, and the older you get the better you get at sort of making adjustments around that what you need to do with, like I said, trying to get a bit of a sleep bank up, and then going to sleep debt, that kind of thing.
1: But yeah,
2: in saying that, you've got to make sure that, like I said, I, I kind of view it as you're filling up a bit of a glass jar. You put in the the, pe- the big rocks first, which are your basics: your sleep, your diet, your recovery, that kind of thing. Then you put in the pebbles, you know, the optional extras of the, the are the fine sand that's filling all the gaps. So you've got to make sure you fill up that. Otherwise, if you do it the other way around, you're gonna have sand at the bottom. Than the pebbles and the rocks, and it, it looks a bit out of place if you know what I mean. So that was always a big one that I sort of tried to make sure I did, whether that be with rugby or life. Make sure you do the basics well and get those covered, and then move forward with the rest of it. Because if you if you cut corners, you'll get found out eventually. Is my theory. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's good
1: advice regardless of sport. So, um, Ian, what what's what's your what's your weight now? What how heavy are? Because people are like, how big is the, how big are these rugby players? What's what's your current?
2: Um, so I fluctuate between eighty three and eighty five kilos, um, being uh, one hundred and seventy nine, one hundred and eighty centimeters. I like to call myself with with a pair of boots on. My <laughs> missus doesn't agree with that. She's about the same height. So um, yeah, it's more about maintaining that weight and also feeling good in that weight. You could maintain eighty three to eighty five kilos, but you might not feel as muscular. Your skin folds might go up. Things like that might fluctuate. Your strength might go down. But at the moment, I'm able to maintain that weight. And keep my strength scores, which I think is the big one. Um, and I know I keep harping on that, but it sounds quite, quite basic. But when you're doing the amount of travel, like I said, that we were doing before, my bench might fluctuate five to ten kilos. My deadlift might fluctuate ten to fifteen kilos. Your squat, your chin up, just because you're not feeling great because you've traveled, your body's like, what, what the hell's going on? You keep changing time zones on me. I'm trying to get my circadian rhythm, all this kind of stuff, in check. But you throw throwing spanners at it the whole time. And we can adjust at this age, you know, being you know twenty to thirties. Um, so it's, it's got to say something for the mature age athletes that go out there and do that and fly and do the Boston Marathon under jet lag, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'd say my weight generally is around 83, to 85 kilos and it's more just my strength markers that stay or the aim to stay the same while maintaining that weight. Because if I, if I don't do weights, I'll probably, and post rugby, I'll probably drop down to the seven, the high seventies, I would say. Cause I'm more of a, I have to keep try and keep weight on as opposed to keeping weight off. That's my issue. Excuse me. But, um, obviously living the dietitian <laughs> helps that and being an exercise physiologist myself helps that so I can make strategies around that whether I need a bit of hypertrophy here to get weight back on or I go into my strength phase because I'm feeling really good and I need a peak for a game whatever that may be on top of your carbo loading replenishing muscle glycogen stores post game because I've got a lot of contact and I've run 8Ks and made the tackles or whatever it may be hydration what's the temperature like outside is it a hot game is it a cold game that kind of thing so all these little variables that over time and you learn with experience, and you can adjust to. Okay, I need to do this this week to prep for that week. Okay, I, d- I didn't get to sleep because it was a late game this week, so I got to sleep four a.m. So I need to sleep Sunday. Whereas if it's a an afternoon game, I might still get to sleep at twelve midnight, and I can sleep till seven or eight. Okay, it's a good seven eight hours sleep. I don't need to nap. I can if I feel like it. So all those little things. It's almost like a big template, and then you can pick and choose what you need. Um, now that I've got that experience and sort of been exposed to great research through yourself and. Shona Hanson when I was at the Brumbies and Dean Benton, all these guys that sort of always looked for that, that point of difference, but made sure the basics were set and done well before we did that.
1: Yeah. So interesting enough, the podcast before you is Shona Hanson. So Shona was one of one of my co-supervisors on my, on my research. And I know I've known Shona for a number of years and we do some other stuff together as well. So Shona like like, um, obviously for those listening to the last podcast, uh, Shona is like one, is the head of like recovery of at the AIS and um, yeah. So, seemingly, or sorry, someone else asked me recently, it's, going to come to, it's got to come to mind by the end of this podcast, someone goes to me, you know Ian Pryor? And I went, yeah, somebody asked me that in Germany. And for the life of me, I can't remember. And they said they knew you from somewhere in Queensland. So I can't remember that, that just popped into my head. No, it was a, it was a lady, a research scientist at a conference. I'm going to find out, I have to find out. She goes, I said, you know Ian Pryor? Because you were in the picture that I put up on the, for some of the research, and the picture face out straight away. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's, I think that's what it was, yeah. And for those of you listening going, oh my God, I can't believe he's complaining about, he can't put, keep weight on, I'm kind of trying to lose weight. Well, for all of you who's crying around that, rugby's quite different than combat sports where people are trying to drop weight for a fight, where in rugby, everybody struggles with keeping the weight on. And I think all players struggle with that. I know when I played, even as an amateur, like I was trying to get up to like 88, 90, and I naturally am like a 77 kilo, 78 kilo guy. Yeah, I can't, I can't get over A, but I was playing flanker, I was playing wing forward, so uh, yeah, I, I think I should have just been put into the halfback, so uh, you know, I was playing flanker and trying to keep that weight on and put it on and it just it just wasn't working, so, so yeah. Um, Ian, I heard a rumour watching World Series rugby. Is it true that you have some sort of Zimbabwean connection? Is it true that you might be playing for Zimbabwe in the World Cup? Can you confirm or deny this rumour or is it just fake news?
2: Um, I can deny the rumour that I'll be playing for Zimbabwe in the World Cup, but I can confirm the rumour that I have Zimbabwean heritage, so, trying to put a long story short, my parents are Zimbabwean, my whole family is Zimbabwean, they moved out uh, here in 88, I was born in 1990 in Bundaberg, God's country in Queensland, Um, and then we moved back to Zimbabwe in 93, mum was getting a bit homesick, um, and there was a good business opportunity for dad so we went back there and then obviously once all the sort of violence and the corruption was starting up again we moved back out to Brisbane in 2000 so that's where the sort of heritage comes from in terms of the, uh, the heavy rumour about the Zimbabwean World Cup um, when I was in the UK they approached a number of us that had heritage over there because quite a lot of expats moved to London in the UK so guys like myself there's a guy called Marco Mama at Worcester Don Armand, who's now been selected for England at Exeter, a few guys like that and a few uh, sort of academy and sort of championship players were approached and I just said, look, I'm I'm in limbo with my, con- with my career at the moment. I'm sort of over here trying to prove myself on a short-term injury contract, not sure what's happening, blah, blah, I'll get back to you. And then as I moved back to the force, obviously being born in Australia, my goal and ambition is always to represent the Wallabies. Um, Australia was the country that took my parents in and I was born here, so I... A massive debt i feel like i owe a massive debt to australia and everything my family has and my sister has is because of australia and the opportunities that this great country presents to us so i kind of said look i'm not interested um moving forward hope you can understand they were all cool with that that's okay and then a week later i got named western force captain and about three days later there was about four articles in zimbabwe newspaper naming me in the squad so it was just i think it was done to sell a few papers and keep a few sponsors happy in zimbabwe but yeah, certainly uh, a country I was proud to be part of and have my heritage from there. My, my one grandfather represented Natal, um, a South African sort of provincial team as a hooker. And my other grandfather on my dad's side represented Rhodesia Rhodesia, and sort of Rhodesia A in, um, as a winger. So I had a hooker and a winger and now I've ended up at halfback. So there's a bit of lineage, how the genetic sort of system worked out in the lottery there. So um, yeah, obviously Australia's my country Want to represent the Wallabies and um, moving forward, and obviously that's always been a goal and ambition of mine, and I'll keep striving to achieve that. But um, yeah, certainly it's interesting how African media can sort of uh, sort of exaggerate a story or try and sell a few papers by selling a few uh, a few in between the lines sort of um, lines. So yeah, no, it was it was a fascinating few weeks, and I got a lot of messages about it and from family friends, what's happening, kind of thing. I had to put out a lot of fires, but uh, yeah, it's one of those stories you look back at and have a bit of a chuckle about. Thank you, my friend, that you're not playing for
1: Zimbabwe. Eh? <laughs> no, that's great, um, and uh, yeah, and I think you're right. Australia is a great country. I've been here for like nearly 16 years. So, um, to the Wallaby staff, if you're looking for two players, myself and Ian Pryor are very proud Australians, and we're we're happy to step up at any time. Uh, I think I can play a prop because I'm, I'm I'm sitting at 78 kilos today and a busted shoulder. So let's see what happens. I said the Heat Testman last year. I said I said, hey Heat, he was in the weights room. I said come here for a minute. He goes what? I said look. I know it's going to sound a bit weird, but I'm thinking about getting back into rugby. I've hit 80 kilos. I said, I'm deadlifting like 100 kilos. I said, I'm feeling really good. I know I'm older, but I'm a bit more mature. I think there's maybe a chance I could maybe get in like NRC squad. And he looked at me like, <laughs> and he had that moment. Like, and I just burst out laughing. At, I burst out laughing and walked away. But it was one of those moments. I just, I just one of those things I had to do. So Ian, as a as a pro rugby player this year in World Series rugby, um, if a lot of kids uh, are kind of gravitating back towards rugby this year. A lot of, lot of, um, I suppose, schoolboy rugby, um, school kid rugby coming up, um, coming to the games, sparking a lot more interest. If you're speaking to a young, up-and-coming player now, what would be the three tips you would give them about recovery? And let's, we'll aim it towards somebody who's aged between sort of 12 to 20. What are the three major things you might say to them about recovery and what the sh- how they should set themselves up to maybe have a professional rugby career?
2: Um, in terms of, Yeah, the recovery, I would say just do the basics really well and nail those before you start buying supplements, things like that. So make sure your nutrition is spot on. Go and see a dietitian, don't see a nutritionist. Go and see a dietitian who's clinically proven and done their study in their field to prove what the long-term athletic development needs are of a young athlete or youth athlete. So first and foremost would be get that right. Um, Secondly would be to get your sleep right. Make sure you're getting eight to ten if not 12 hours we know teenagers are renowned for their sleep make sure you keep on top of that because that's when as you would well know your growth hormone and your testosterone levels are all skyrocketing, that's when you get the recovery, the growth the recovery, all those kind of things when you are working hard to help on top of that Um, and definitely flexibility, flexibility be a massive one for me, I had a few stress fractures growing up, Um, once again I wasn't that flexible like I said growing up and my body was growing too quickly for my muscles and my joints and I just, I would play sports seven days a week where that was cricket season or rugby season, I was doing it seven days a week no matter what and if I wasn't doing that I was trying to find <laughs> something else to do to get out of school so uh, whether it be soccer across cross country, that kind of thing to make up numbers but it certainly makes a difference because if you think about your body's growing and you're competing for all these representative teams and playing week in, week out you got to look after your body because if you're injured then that's the sort of chance you're waiting for that opportunity and you might not be ready to take that chance because you're injured at the time and then that has a bit of a flow on effect Which makes you resilient because you might not make a team originally, but you've got to make sure you keep working. So that would be my three recovery ones. would be nutrition, sleep, flexibility. And then in terms of the other two that I would say, it would be make sure you're a bloody hard worker. Work harder than anyone else. And make sure you never, ever, ever give up. If you have a dream, a goal, whatever it is, make sure you just keep going no matter what. Um, I still remember the day. I was quite lucky. My mum and dad always made sure they'd try and get me to a game, whether it be the Reds, we grew up in, where I grew up in Brisbane, or a Cricket Australia game, the Bulls, wherever it may be. And I remember there was one particular Test match we went to it was Wallabies first I think it was the All Blacks, and one of the first games at Suncorp. And I remember I think Rocky Elsom led them out, and the crowd just erupted. It was the biggest crowd I'd ever seen, particularly because I'd been to Ballymore before. It was about twenty thousand, which is still unreal. But to go to Suncorp. 50 odd thousand people and i just got um, goosebumps down my whole body and i said dad that's what i want to do i want to play professional sport and that's what i want to do and i took the road less traveled i um went to a sort of third division school so i was always there and thereabouts always shadow not quite making squads things like that but i just made sure (coughs) excuse me that even though i might not have been in academies or that kind of setup i would back in the dial-up internet days before a lot of kids these days would know about in the wire days i would dial Google when it just launched strength conditioning programs, and I just pick one, I just go and do. It. I wouldn't know what I was doing. I would just follow it to the T, and sometimes ended up sick and all that kind of stuff from overtraining. But I made sure because I just sort of said to myself, okay, what am I doing today that the other person is not doing, or what are they doing in their academy setup and getting guidance? If I don't do it, the gap's going to get bigger. So how do I overtake that gap? So one of my uh, one of my favourite stories that my dad likes telling is that I wanted to make the first 15 rugby team in grade 10. Um, which was a bit, it's not uncommon, but it's not the most common thing to do, particularly coming through, just because of age-specific gaps, and obviously your growth rate, that kind of thing, playing against guys two years older in that teenage sort of twilight period, Um, and I wanted to, I needed to get the best pass basically in the school, so what I used to do is I used to come home after rugby training, and we had a, we were quite like we had an acreage property that we grew up on, and I used to Run around and throw bricks. I'd throw bricks off the ground, passing. I'd come up with all these rips on my hand and scratches, and Mum be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and so, I eventually learned to duct tape the bricks. But I would literally come home after training. I'd be at training, you know, Monday, Tuesday for club and school, and then th- Wednesday for club, Thursday for school, Friday for rep, Saturday, Sunday play. But Monday to Friday, I'd come home after every training, and I'd just do shuttle runs and pass bricks on the ground. And Mum used to crack the shits because it used to. You know, on a wet, soggy day, it <laughs> used to put massive divots in the yard that she was very uh, big on maintaining. But just the point of the story, I guess, is I just wanted to work harder than anyone else, and made sure I did things that other people weren't willing to do, so that I could do other things couldn't do uh, that other people couldn't do on the field, kind of, so to speak. So, and yeah, at that stage, I, I just kept working. Like I said, didn't make the big rep teams like the Queens and Australian Schoolboys. I was always shadow, and then eventually. Um, made through to the Australian under 20s i was the only player it started as like 150 people and it got cut down to like 45 or something like that i think it was 40 because we had to have no it was 35 sorry because you had to have two teams of 15 plus five reserves and i was the only player there at that point that didn't have a full-time contract whether it be academy or super rugby and i loved that i just thought you know here we go I've got, you know i've obviously I'm here amongst the best and I want to test myself and I've got nothing to lose here. So went nuts and just played really well, played a couple of different positions. thought, OK, this is my chance. I'm finally going to crack one of the big squads I've always worked hard to make. And traditionally, um, they would take three halfbacks. That year, they took two and I was the third. So I didn't make it again. And I was pretty shattered by it. And I was at college at the time, living at King's College in UQ. Um, and I remember, you know, I was pretty upset, obviously. I thought, oh, well, this is it here we go again, blah, 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 maybe I'll just play socially and just not take my rugby seriously because I'd really built up to that point and and committed and sacrificed a lot, you know, parties, all that kind of thing, to achieve this goal and just fell short, which was quite devastating. And I was probably pretty upset, I was probably shed a tear or two, which I don't like saying. Um, And I was in my college room and the landline phone there, no one really rings unless one of your mates ring it from another room. And I just, the phone rang one day, it was like early, 8 a.m. Picked it up and said, hello, is Ian there? I said, yeah, yeah, this is Ian's room. Who's this? And he goes, oh, mate, it's Ewan McKenzie, then Queensland Reds coach. Never heard from anyone from the Reds. Never done anything with them, blah, blah, blah. Done a bit of Australian 7 stuff, like trial stuff, but not really with the Reds. And I thought it was all my mates stitching me up. <laughs> so I thought, piss off, mate. I know you're trying to cheer me up. Who is this? He goes, mate, this is Ewan McKenzie. I said, seriously, guys, I'm not really in the mood for this. I'm obviously pretty upset. Disappointed I didn't make it. Please, this is a bit of a cruel joke. And he just paused and he said, Seriously, mate, this is you, Mackenzie. I said, "Oh, sorry. Hi, Miss McKenzie. How are you?" And just sort of couldn't believe it. Literally, it was the week later, and he just sort of said, "Look, mate, been following your progress for a while. I think you're a good player from what we've heard. You're a good person. Blah blah. You're a hard worker. Do you want to come in for a meeting?" I said, "Yeah, certainly, mate." And um, sort of hung up my phone and just had this big shock go through my system. I couldn't believe that A. He didn't call my mobile, and B. He called my college landline phone. I didn't know it would. He'd have that or anyone would have that number. So I went in for a meeting, um, and it was sort of myself, and then across from the other side of the table was a big boardroom table, was Ewan McKenzie, the defence coach, the attack coach, the physio, S&C, all that kind of stuff, and um, he just sort of, they all asked all the technical questions, and he just sort of sat me down and asked me about myself, my family history, all that kind of stuff, because he was big on investing in the person, um, and then ended up getting a contract out of it, so I guess the long, the long, long, the short of the long story is that you know I was just about to sort of as I viewed giving up because I put so much into the five six years trying to make this team and just fell short which wasn't obviously it was just a matter of the um, the facts and they were only going to take two halfbacks but then the best opportunity that I ever got in my life came out of that out of that disappointment so that's my point is never ever give up to any athlete or age athlete that are trying to achieve a goal it's not always going to go your way it's not always going to it's not always gonna happen straight away, but keep working hard and good things come to good people. And if you work hard and you earn it, it will come to you. So that would be my long long bit of a speech there, but make sure yeah you never give up.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's such great points for life and no matter what. Like I recently finished my PhD and some people messaged me like on Instagram and everyone went, Shit, a PhD? Like when you were seventeen and da 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 and I'm like, Yeah, well like things change and you keep plugging away and you keep doing things. And so you just, and the other thing as well, which is really interesting from your story is you just never know who's watching in the background. You never know. So your behavior, your approach to stuff, your discipline, your structure will pay off. You just never know who's in the background watching. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. Like it's, I kind of smile when you tell that story cause I've seen that happen for so many people. You think you're in the, the depths of these like doldrums you're right down this law. And through that someone comes along and goes, all right. You know, you've kind of proven yourself, come over here. I'll give you a shot, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Thanks. I was going to ask you about what's life going to be like after rugby, but after your great speech there about never giving up, I'm not going to even talk about that today. So, Ian, we hope to see you in a gold jersey very shortly because if you had that work ethic today, I'm sure that cap is going to come for you, man, at the, at the full Australian level. I think, you know, your determination, your grit, and, and how you how you carry yourself is definitely going to put, push push you into that mix. So, um, yeah, those of you on Super Rugby, watch out. Ian thanks so much for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it guys get on the Western Force website get down to the games cheer them on if you're here in Western Australia please get to the games they're very well priced very reasonable they're family friendly lots of entertainment around it and Ian if people want to can people follow you on Twitter Instagram is there any sort of social media where people can get a get a hold of you and get inspired more
2: yeah, absolutely. So I've got Twitter. Um, I can't remember my, my tag name or anything, but just search Ian Pryor and it'll be a, f- a bloke running out there with the Western Force jersey on and I've also got Instagram. Um, so Ian Pryor 9, I think it might be. So have a look there as well. Um, and yeah, anyone that wants to get in contact or um, needs a bit of mentoring or guidance or whatever it may be. I'm still young, being 27, but I've, I've learned a few things over my career and uh, had a really good upbringing through my family and my parents and, and being surrounded by a really good bunch of friends. So happy to help out wherever I can. Um, that's one thing I probably wished I had growing up was a bit more guidance and someone I could actually speak to but we just didn't have anyone we knew who we could be connected to anyone and try and get that bit of guidance. So I wasn't doing 30 year old strength conditioning programs and running myself into the ground and vomiting most sessions because I didn't really know <laughs> what I was doing and running myself into fatigue there. So yeah, absolutely. Please feel free to contact me anytime We'll get in touch and um, no worries at all. And thank you very much for having me on, on your podcast today i really enjoyed it. And, I uh, look forward to being on maybe sometime in the future. I might have to interview you, so cheers, mate, and uh, look forward to it. Great. Thanks very much, Ian.
1: This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is brought to you by Orbiz. Orbis are a global consulting firm who facilitate the rapid delivery of significant and sustainable improvements in performance across a diversity of industries. They facilitate turnaround, transformation and strategic improvement programs through the development and implementation of a system and culture of lean and continuous improvement. Now Orbiz are growing their global presence across the Asia-Pacific region, Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Americas their range of services include optimization of business development systems to deliver growth true to operating system improvements that reduce cost by improvements in safety, quality and productivity. So what this means for your business typically they will give you outcomes such as a reduction in cost who can beat that, increasing capacity utilization throughput, increase in revenue profitability and overall customer value and satisfaction. Orbis have extensive experience in facilitating change in challenging environments by utilizing lean tools and methodology Joining engagements across the world, including diverse um, sectors and industry such as mining, energy, construction, transport, aerospace, manufacturing and healthcare. Orbiz people are industry professionals driven to achieve sustained results through the development of trusted relationships. So head over to www.orbiz.io, that's Orbiz, O-R-B-I-Z dot for more information, get in contact with them to organise a visit today to your organisation. This episode of Sleep for Performance Radio is also brought to you by Sleep WA Western Australia. Now Sleep WA is one of the only few nationally accredited sleep laboratories in Western Australia, meaning that they have put their services and quality systems to the test against the national standards. They provide commitment and dedication by providing you a high quality service. Now I've worked with these guys before, they are excellent, um, they are a very diligent business and one that is trusted here in Western Australia. Sleep WA is one of the only sleep and respiratory centres to provide holistic care and treatment for all sleep and respiratory disorders, not just obstructive sleep apnea which many people would have hear, heard about in, uh, in the news or in, in the scientific literature or even on this podcast. So SleepWA believe that all patients deserve compassion, support, multiple treatment options, and education to allow them to actively participate in their own journey to better health. SleepWA provides a comprehensive service to diagnose and recommend treatment of all respiratory diseases and sleep disorders. This includes rare sleep disorders and those complicated by cardiovascular disease. The SleepWF philosophy is to offer patients expert diagnosis, effective therapy and supportive guidance on the road to better health and sleep. They are a leader in respiratory and sleep medicine and provide the following service at locations throughout Western Australia. Consultation with experienced specialists, comprehensive respiratory testing for lung disease, asthma and allergies inpatient sleep studies, home-based sleep studies, that's pretty handy, insomnia management programs for insomnia and circadian disorders, and fatigue management programs to reduce risk and improve health in the workplace. So get started on your journey towards better health and sleep today and head over to SleepWA, that's WA for Western Australia, and get in contact with Dion and Jack over there. this episode is also brought to you finally by fatigue science the fatigue science readyband is a wearable device that helps you improve safety and your performance through the science of sleep the readyband is a way more than just a sleep tracker it's the world's only sleep measurement tool that's paired with safety a bio man michael fatigue model which has a predictive algorithm so what that means is actually predict into the future what your performance is going to be based upon your data. This was initially developed by the US Army Research Lab and was uh, built to improve the performance of soldiers in operational environments. Now, this device has been adapted to work in elite athletes and industrial workers. This is also a device that I have validated in the laboratory myself and I have used extensively in industry and research applications. As listeners to this podcast, you probably know that restorative sleep is about. More than just the numbers of hours of sleep you get, factors like when you sleep, how much sleep that you have accrued, and even your local um, geographical location. So a sunset, the time you go to bed, the time the sun comes up, all of these things are all these different factors in chronobiology um, that affect your performance. So this Ready band was developed to incorporate all these factors that can really help you understand the real impact of sleep on your life. So ReadyBand not only helps you track changes to your fatigue over time, but also allows you to discover new ways to achieve personal fatigue improvement goals so you can actually measure the improvements that you're making uh, as you go. Now, ReadyBand has is relied on by lots of different organizations and they've got a very impressive resume so winners of the super bowl seattle seahawks have used this the chicago cubs have used this military special forces and workers who operate in uh, long shifts in dangerous environments such as tunneling underground mining oil and gas uh, it's been used in elite sports such as rugby basketball um it's been used at the australian institute of sport it's been used in uh, elite MMA athletes who compete in the UFC, so it's a wide variety of applications. So, if fatigue is important to you and your organization, whether you're a sports team or an industrial workforce, head to FatigueScience.com, that's FatigueScience.com, to speak to a member of their team and to learn more about how the Ready Band can improve safety and performance in your organization.